Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And in this question in verse 1, we can hear the Lord Jesus Christ really saying, What have I done to make you leave me? He remembers God the Father who publicly speaks about him when he enters his ministry at his baptism in Matthew 3.17, Matthew 3.17, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He remembers God the Father's voice on the Mount of Transfiguration in, in Matthew 17.5, Matthew 17.5, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved son in, him, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him? And this whole life has been wrapped up with one goal, which is to please God the Father as he gives his final report. And he's so happy to give this report in John 17, 4. John 17, 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now God the Father has forsaken him. He's forsaken him. And we can hear the shock and the stun in his question. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We can hear him say, your presence with me has been my highest treasure. I never wanted you to leave me. Why, why, what have I done? Why hast thou forsaken me? His question is so personal when he says, my God, my God. He doesn't, in his personal pronouns, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He didn't say, why have I been forsaken? Or why have you forsaken? It's very too personal when he said, why hast thou forsaken me? And he answers the question as we said here in verse three, thou art holy. That's the answer, the holiness of God. He understands. It's the holiness of God that is the reason that he's been forsaken by God the Father. Why? Because the great transfer has begun. The great transfer has started. What transfer? The great transfer, the great laying on on him has begun, which is prophesied in Isaiah 53.6. Isaiah 53.6. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the great transfer, the great laying on of him. The great bearing has begun. The great bearing, what bearing? Isaiah 53, 11, he shall bear their iniquities. Isaiah 53, 12, he bear the sin of many. Isaiah 53, 4, he hath borne our griefs. The great carrying has begun. Isaiah 53, 4, surely he hath carried our sorrows. The great wounding has begun. Isaiah 53, 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. The great bruising has begun. Isaiah 53, 5, he was bruised for our iniquities. And what is all this? 
what is all this great laying on him of the iniquity of us all? What is all this great bearing on of all of our iniquities and sins and griefs? What's all this great carrying of our sorrows, this great wounding for our transgressions, this great bruising for our iniquities? What is all this? This is 2 Corinthians 5.11. This is 2 Corinthians 5.11. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is all the great transfer. It's begun, this great transfer of all of our sin from us to him, the great laying on of our sins on him, the great bearing of our sins, the great carrying of our sorrows, wounding for our transgressions, bruising for our iniquities. It's all involved in him being made, what 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, being made sin for us. Now, as our sins were laid on him and he bore our sins, carried our sins, God cannot look on the sins that were laid on him. He was bearing, he's carrying, he's being judged. As it says in, in Habakkuk 1.13, Habakkuk 1.13, thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. That's it, Habakkuk 1.13. God has purer eyes than to behold evil. He cannot look on iniquity. That's it. That's the Psalm 22.3. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Only those who have been made holy can be in the presence of God. As Eric quoted, and I didn't coach him to quote this, but he quoted this in Psalm 96.9. Psalm 96.9. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We must be in the beauty of holiness to worship the Lord. The, the essential quality of God is that he's holy. Isaiah saw this, Isaiah 6, 3. The one cried unto another, he wrote, when he saw this, and they were crying, holy, 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 kadosh, 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 is the Lord God, Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God was holy, and at that moment, the unthinkable happened for which he had prayed that if it was possible, this cup would pass from him, that, and that was 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Now, when it says here in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he hath made him to be sin for us, please, 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 do not ever think that the Lord Jesus Christ became sin through and through. He was the unblemished lamb. He was never blemished with sin, even at that moment. The Greek word that's used here for sin is harmatia, harmatia. And when the Septuagint translators, the 70 translators in Alexandria translated the Old Testament into Greek, they used that word, harmatia, to refer to the sin offering in the book of Leviticus. It's a sin offering. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means that he's holy yesterday, today, and forever. As a sin offering, he bore our sins, he suffered the penalty for our sins, but he did not become sin in itself. Benny Hinn, anyway, he is 100% in error when he said that the Lord not only did not, I can't even hardly say these words, you know, I have to read them, did not take my sin, he became sin, he became one with the nature of Satan. The Lord Jesus Christ was holy, on the cross, even as he bore our sins, he never became sin itself. He never became one with the nature of Satan. When the Bible says that the Lord Jesus was made sin, it means that he was made the harmatia, he was made the sin offering, and he bore our sins and he received the punishment for our sins. But because he was bearing sins, God the Father could not look on him because God cannot look on iniquity. 
That would be for God to see sins, which you can't do because God's the Father's holy. So here we have the answer to the question, why did he cry from the cross of this deep inner anguish, this extreme torture of his soul? Why did God forsake the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross? Why did the Lord Jesus wail from the cross? Why did the Lord Jesus cry this from the cross? There's only one answer, verse three, thou art holy. It was because of the holiness of God. He cried from the cross because of the holiness of God, because he was made the sin offering for us. So now we've answered this question, why did the Lord Jesus cry from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because of the holiness of God, because he was made to bear our sins on the cross. And this was so important for us, why? Because really, before this happened, we had no answer to the question, what about your sins? We had no answer. And we had no response to the question, well, why should God not cast you into a forsaken hell for all of eternity? We were vulnerable. We were exposed to the wrath of God for our sins. And we had one vital need for us, and we needed a sin offering that would be acceptable to God to cover all our sins. And that was the need that the Lord Jesus stepped in to meet when he answered a question in heaven as to Who's gonna go and become the sin offering for the desperate need of man? And the Lord Jesus Christ steps up. And again, in the Psalms, Psalm 40, verse seven, then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it's written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. When he said in that Psalm 40, verse eight, Psalm 40, verse eight, I delight to do thy will, he was focused on the will of God. He knew perfectly what the will of God was. He stated the will of God. Have you ever thought that the most popular verse in the Bible, John 3:16, is a statement of the will of God? It is. When he said, think about it, he's revealing the will of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was the love of God the Father to give the son because the Father did not want anyone, he didn't want us to be punished eternally in hell. That reminds me of what happened to my friend Clint. He's got nine children, one on the way. If he doesn't have enough, he has more children anyway. So yesterday, his eight-year-old daughter, Caitlin, she got in trouble and she was gonna be punished. But his seven-year-old daughter, Candace, who has a real tender heart and a love for Caitlin, she came up, she said, Dad, punish me instead of Caitlin. Boy. Why'd she do that? She didn't want to see Caitlin get punished. That's what love is. That's a picture of what God did and why he gave his son, because he didn't want to see us get punished for our sins. He's got that heart. He knew, the Lord Jesus, he knew what the Father's will was. That's the Father's will. No one should perish. 2 Peter 3, 9. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The 1 Timothy 2.4, 1 Timothy 2.4, this is the Father's will, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He knew that the Father's will was not that any should perish, was that there was only one way, only one possibility for everybody on earth to be saved from their sins, and that was if he came to do the Father's will so that no one would perish, and he opens the door for everyone, everyone to be saved when he became the sin offering for the sins of the whole world. And it says in 1 John 2, 2, 1 John 2, 2, 
he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. The Father's will was so much that he wanted to do that that he spoke of the Father's will as being so important to him. The Lord Jesus said in John 4.34, John 4.34, Jesus saith unto him, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He had one reason to come down from heaven and only one reason, and he said it in John 6.38, John 6.38, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. He had one reason for coming from heaven to earth was to do the Father's will. And the Father's will was that no one should perish and everyone should be saved from their sins. And that no one should go to hell, everyone should be spared from hell. That was his sole purpose in coming. And the only reason that you and I can sit here today in a state of having all our sins forgiven, and let me use the word, with a guaranteed entrance and welcome into heaven, is because the Father is not willing that any should perish, including you and I, but is willing that all should be saved. It's because the Son was willing to do the Father's will, which meant he had to bear all the sins of every man on himself. He had to become the sin offering, the only one that the Father would accept, and that's all encompassed in this verse in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Just as last week, I had somebody say, you know, I was talking about dying to go to heaven, and the person said to me, there's no guarantee. Oh, but there is. And a guarantee is only as good as the person who's guaranteeing it. And I didn't say to this person, I guarantee it, okay? I didn't say that, but the truth is, God guaranteed it. And because God guaranteed it, that's why it's guaranteed. That's why it's guaranteed. Now, we've seen this about why, okay? But now the question is, who? Who? The question is, who made the Lord Jesus to be sin for us? For he hath made him to be sin for us. Who? This is very similar to the question of who killed Christ. For the answer to that question, we have to turn back in time, turn back to a time when Abraham walked up that hill of Mount Moriah with his son Isaac, and Isaac asked this question, this resounding question. It's resounded for over a thousand years. Genesis 22.4, Genesis 22.4. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, saw the place afar off. Abraham said unto his young men, abide you here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. We will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. He took the fire in his hand, a knife, they went, both of them, together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, my father? And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. This is a history, it's been three days that this group is led by Abraham and they've been walking, making their slow march toward Mount Moriah. And only Abraham knows the purpose, only Abraham knows because God only told Abraham. You can be sure if God told Sarah, Abraham would have become the offering. You know. But uh, only Abraham knows because God told Abraham in this second verse of Genesis 22, Genesis 22, 2, and he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the mount, land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Only Abraham knew that. 
Only Abraham knew he was going to sacrifice his son Isaac as a burnt offering. And all that Abraham told everyone else was in verse five, Abraham said unto the young men, abide you here with the ass and I and the lab will go yonder and worship and come again to you. All that Abraham has told everyone, including his son, as to what he and his son were going to do up there yonder, to, it was that they were gonna go yonder to worship and that he and his son would return alive, both of them, because Abraham believed that God is gonna raise Isaac from the dead. Why did he believe that? Because Abraham had the promise that Isaac was gonna have children and dead people don't have children. So, and then Isaac, Abraham and Isaac, they prepare to separate from the group and they're going alone with just Abraham and Isaac and Abraham puts the wood on Isaac for him to carry and Abraham takes the knife and the fire in his hand and they start off, they start walking. And Isaac looks around, he looks around. He saw that something's missing. You know, he knew his father he wouldn't have forgotten the sacrifice. And we can see Isaac, he's wondering, he's, he says, how could my father, who remembers everything, have forgotten the most important, important part here, the sacrifice? Must be that I don't understand, so I'll ask. And Isaac then asked this resounding question. Isaac, verse seven, Genesis 30, 22, seven, Genesis 22, seven. Isaac spake unto his, Abraham his father and said, my father, and he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold the fire, the wood, where's the lamb? for a burnt offering. Abraham would never, ever lie to his son, never. So he reveals to his son this truth. In verse eight, Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together. Now, we read words, we don't see eyes. But it was those eyes that are backing up the words. Abraham says these five words, my son, God will provide. When Isaac looked into the eyes of Abraham, his father Abraham, he heard him say, my son, God will provide, but he did not see eyes of terror that said, my son, I have no idea. I'm as terrified as you are what's gonna happen. He didn't see that in the eyes. No, no, no. When Isaac looked into the eyes of his father Abraham and heard him say, my son, God will provide, Isaac saw in Abraham's eyes a calm assurance, a resting in trust in God. He saw in Abraham's eyes the same confidence, he saw the same confidence in the faithfulness of God that led Abraham to say to his group, Isaac and I will return to you. And so Isaac read in his father's eyes and heard in his father's words, my son, God will provide, and you can rest on that. You can rest on that. And then there's one of the most beautiful words in the Bible when it says, in the last part of verse eight, Genesis 22, eight, Genesis 22, eight, and so they went both of them together. There's a whole lot of words there for just one word. The reason it's so beautiful is because the Hebrew word there that's used for uh, they went both, of, went both of them together, that's how it's been translated, both of them together, it's one word, yachad. Yachad, which, which comes from echad. Echad is a wonderful word because it describes the unity of God. Deuteronomy 6.4, the great Shema, Shema Yisrael, it says, the Lord our God, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It says, Shema Yisrael, they say Adonai, it's really Yahweh. Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. Echad is expressing a unity which exists 
in the triune Godhead of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of this in John 10.30, John 10.30, when he said, I and my Father are one, he said, I and my Father are, of course, he spoke, we have it written in Greek, but anyways, I'm sure he said, I and my Father are echad, going back to the Shema of Deuteronomy 6.4. So what this means in, in, in the Genesis 22.7, Genesis 22.7, is that Isaac understood at that moment, he understood he was to be the sacrifice. He knew that. And that even if he was to be the sacrifice, there was no need to worry because God would provide. And so Isaac keyed into that assurance. He keyed into that confidence of assurance in God. And that's the beauty when it says they went both of them together, yachad, from yachad. They went as a unit together. See, that's the Godhead, God the Father, God the... They are a unit together. And Abraham and Isaac went as a unit together. In the full knowledge Isaac had, he's gonna be the sacrifice. And that's the picture of how the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross. It was the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father together going to the cross, as he said, Welcome up being forsaken by the people. In John 8, 29, he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do all those things that, that, that please him until the time when he bore his sins and then the Father forsook him. But just as Isaac and Abraham went both of them together up Mount Moriah as a beautiful echad unit, so the Lord Jesus and the Father, both of them went up to Mount Calvary as a beautiful echad unit. But on Mount Moriah, we read what happened. And what happened in Genesis 22.9, Genesis 22.9, they came to the place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, bound Isaac, his son, and, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. See, no resistance. No, no, Isaac has known all along this was gonna be the case ever since he asked. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. It was Abraham that bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar of wood. It was Abraham that stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And in that scene, we see who made the Lord Jesus to be the sin offering for us. It was God the Father who made the Lord Jesus to be the sin offering for us, as it says in Hebrews 9.28, Hebrews 9.28, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, Hebrews 9.28, Isaiah 53.4, he had borne our griefs, Isaiah 53.6, Isaiah 53.6, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. So we're approaching now the end of the year. And it's a good time to take time now and look back over the past year and look forward to the year coming. As we look back over the year, we see our sins. We see our sins, very discouraging. We see our failures. And let's be encouraged to think of how much God the Father is for us, that he did this, and that he made his son to be the sin offering to the point where the son cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And as we look forward to the coming year of uncertainties, let's be like Isaac and read from the cry of the cross a great assurance of God's love for us, and let's take to heart the words of Abraham to Isaac that no matter what we have to face, of the unknown, God will provide, God will provide. We can't change the past, but we can sure ruin the future. We can sure ruin the present by worrying about the future. So we won't worry about the future if we take to heart what Abraham told his son, God will provide. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our Lord Jesus. Thank you for your great will, 
your great will that none of us should be punished for what we deserve in hell for eternity. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you keyed in so much with the Father's will. You were the Echad unit with him, that you came to do that will and become the sin offering, even to the point where it cost you to be forsaken by God. And that, Lord, we then see you provided everything for us, salvation for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.